0: Ladies and gentlemen, esteemed listeners, welcome to another episode of At Center Stage, a video series dedicated to emerging and fast growing sectors. If you are a professional or a legal advisor operating in the selected industry or a stakeholder in this particular sector and would like to hear about the trends and forces driving this industry, then you are more than welcome to join us. My name is Sasha Papp and I'm your host. What's on the menu today? We will talk about the fastest growing market at the moment, the cryptocurrency assets market. My guests today are Nates Biziak and Nates Vrankar. Two times Nates. Of course, we did this on purpose just to confuse you. (laughs) Of course not. (laughs) Nates Biziak is chief of staff and member of the senior executive team at Bitstamp, the world's oldest cryptocurrency exchange, In his role, Nates focuses on supporting the development of different strategic initiatives and products. Prior to his role as Chief of Staff, Nates held various positions at Bitstamp. Most recently, he was the head of the Market Intelligence Department. Before diving into crypto, he started his career in financial advice, working at two of the big four companies. Nate's holds a Master of Laws degree from the University of Ljubljana and is also a CFA charter holder. And on the other side is Nate's Vranker. Associate at CMS Slovenia. He is a representative of the young generation at CMS Slovenia. He's well versed in capital markets law and is a crypto native with hands on experience in the cryptocurrency world. Thanks for joining me, guys. Thank you, Sasha. It's good to be here. As I said, the crypto market is one of the fastest growing markets at this moment. On the market, we are seeing the shift towards institutionalization and increasing sophistication, which will attract institutional investors, corporations. And with that, we will see further expansion of the cryptocurrency market, which is at this point estimated to approximately 2.75 trillion US dollars. So we are not talking about an obscure market anymore, right? Maybe we can start with this, guys. Where do you see the market heading in the next three years? What are the trends, developments and hurdles that define and will continue to define crypto in this time frame? Nate Biziak, maybe we start with you.
1: I can take this one. So definitely there are many, many uh, interesting trends taking place in the in the crypto market. So it's hard to really pin down what the most important ones would be. Um, But one that that especially comes to mind is the growing, just the growing utility um, and um, increasing use cases of crypto. If cryptocurrencies a couple of years back used to be this obscure phenomenon uh, just used for maybe speculation for the select few um nowadays this is a, a a growing market um with with increasing use cases so um ranging all from um different um uh, play and earn so gaming industries being disrupted by crypto uh we see a lot of um we see a lot of um sort of financial applications uh springing up um and so it just it's just so, so the pace of development in this industry is just amazing and all of this is coupled with um, continuous improvements in UX and UI, um, so customers find it easier and easier to um, to enter this industry, to use some of these exciting products, um, and and so on. Um, and of course, uh, there are many different market segments for which we think uh, we're going to see exciting developments. Um, for example, decentralized finance um, is something that is poised to grow over the over the coming years, just for the Increased efficiency that it brings to um, to decentralized finance, so we believe that um, there will be a um, sort of a place and time where where, where centralized finance and decentralized finance coexist um, in in this market. So it's it's going to be very interesting to uh, to see that. Um, then, of course, are the non fungible token markets, um, which right now are mostly focused on the sort of art and music. Uh, but we believe this, that, you know, every loan you take out in a bank is a non-fungible token. So eventually this is going to spread into the, into the sort of more regulated parts of the market. Um, and then, of course, it's the metaverse. I'm sure you've all recently seen Facebook rebranding themselves as meta um, and sort of doubling down or, or tripling down even on um, on the development of the metaverse. So this goes sort of hand in hand with people spending more and more time in the digital world um, so, I'm uh, I, I firmly believe that in a, in in a couple of years we're going to have a very similar discussion, just wearing our VR glasses in, in a in a room somewhere, just um, floating
0: around, I guess. <laughs>
1: yeah, I, I, yeah, exactly. Uh, so, um, but as an exchange, uh, we see so Bitstamp sees um, growing sophistication of the exchange offering. So it used to only be trading, but nowadays it's, you know, it's late lending, it's staking, um, it's, it's NFTs, non-fungible tokens, sort of end-to-end personal and corporate finance, one, one could say. Um, and this is, of course, coupled and supported by tremendous amounts of capital entering this market. Um, so I think that this year alone, we've had um, 15 billion um, overall venture funding uh, being poured into crypto which uh surpassed 2020 by five times um and at the same time it's not only investors that are gaining exposure to the market but it's just you know every corporation trying to figure out how do we include cryptocurrencies and blockchains into as a, into a, either our work processes or as a par- part of our offering uh, to our customers um so that's in in very short uh but definitely there there also are some hurdles um so the industry very fast-paced um this approach of move fast break things sometimes doesn't end very well um so there is a tremendous space of innovation taking place in the market which sometimes result in um leaving some kind of a debt behind which then materializing materializes it might be a technical glitch it might be a sort of um, a reputational, uh, reputational damage um, or just, you know, loss of information, thefts and hacks. Um, but the biggest hurdle probably for this industry um, right now is probably regulation. Um, so uh, as an exchange, we are faced, we operate globally and we see many different regulatory regimes uh, that are far from being the same. Um, and we're trying to navigate that sort of uncertain waters Uh, to sort of to the best of our ability, Um, but the regulators, they still have this lack of understanding of the industry and how to approach it. Um, So it's sort of up to us and to the exchanges and the industry and the regulators to fund that dialogue um, going forward.
0: Yeah, and uh, Nate Zvrankar from CMS, uh, I'm pretty sure you can add upon where Nate's finished, right?
2: Yeah, uh, well, uh, we certainly didn't start off easy, Sasha. So um, uh, <laughs> first and foremost, uh, it's really a joy to listen to a perspective from uh, someone who's uh, on the inside, right, uh, from someone who's really working at the heart of the industry. So um, just a fair warning in advance, you know, the outlook from a regulatory perspective might not really be as interesting as the one from the industry perspective, Um but the two are uh, def- definitely uh, in- inextricably linked, you know so um from a legal or let's say um a regulatory uh, standpoint, um the age is old tale that the uh, the law is always late uh, is of course true um, but rightly so because um regulator- regulators should have no business you know uh, preemptively regulating something they do not um, fully grasp yet so um I, I think the biggest, you know, um, issue should could be if uh, premature or misguided regulation um, took place. You know, uh, that would certainly hinder the innovation and growth in this uh, promising sector. Um, but it's been it's been now uh, nearly a decade that um, uh, crypto regulation has been absent or uh, rather scattershot. and now recently, well. Uh, recently, this being the past the past three years, really, uh, regulators around the world have been announcing or uh, actually ramping up uh, regulations uh, on crypto industry. So, um, and this this should really be welcomed by most, if if not all, stakeholders of the industry, as uh, increased regulation, if done properly, um, will really encourage. Uh, widespread adoption, and uh, it would make uh, industry accessible to many more participants. You know, uh, particularly publicly traded companies, uh, regulated institutions. Um, I would say in the last in the last ten years or so, uh, basically the same a uh, time span that Bitstamp has um, been in uh, in existence, right? Um, Most financial institutions recognize that uh, crypto assets, uh, blockchain and uh, distributed ledger technology are the future, Uh, but their their access to them has uh, has really been rather limited. Um, uh, This is particularly um, due to the current regulatory landscape, you know, without clear rules, without legal certainty. um, I would say this has been the biggest barrier. So um, regulatory clarity for digital uh, finance is really the key to fostering you know further innovation, but also at the same time, of course, uh, pro- protecting investors. And uh, so keeping it uh, EU only, right? Um, uh, in EU, um, regulating digital assets uh, has, is a part of a larger digital st- strategy. Concerning also now, the internet data uh, besides the fin- financial sovereignty. And there are currently two main uh, regulatory initiatives in progress in the EU um, that will directly impact the crypto space uh, in the coming years. Uh, so the first one is the European Commission's regulation of uh, markets in crypto assets uh, proposal, or um, in short, MICA. And this is, uh, this is a regulatory framework developed um, since 2018. To help protect, to help actually regulate currently out of scope crypto assets and um, and first and foremost their service providers in the EU and basically provide a single licensing regime uh, across all member states. Um, I I believe it's envisaged to come into force by 2024, so it's still still quite a a ways off. And um, if this framework, uh, when it will. well, when it finally gets adopted, right? Uh, the, um, um, it will it will allow the license providers to offer cryptocurrency and operate uh, crypto exchanges in the EU uh, on a passport on a passportable regime. Um, it's it, in addition to that, you know it will also um, offer stronger consumer protection standards and it will set out uh, rules for um, digital asset issu- issuance. For public offerings, and uh, last but not least, uh, also um, there's quite a big uh, section of Mica um, reserved for um, uh, specific requirements relating to stablecoins. You know, and um, as speaking of you know regulation, and uh, since Nate's mentioned uh, just a while ago, you know the move fast break things model of uh, of Facebook, right? It's it's funny that it was precisely uh, facebook's announcement in 2019 that uh, they would launch their own um, uh, cryptocurrency that acted as a big catalyst uh, for eu lawmakers to uh, finally spring into action and um, and so the, the other the other big uh, legislative initiative is the pilot dlt sandbox uh, dlt uh, st- uh, standing for uh, distributed ledger technology um, and the proposal basically is a regulatory sandbox for financial financial products based on distributed ledger technology, um, which, you know um, this regime aims to create a safe space for uh, market players to experiment uh, with issuing, uh, trading and settling securities using blockchain technology. And the sandbox will run for about five years. Um, And at the end of this period, uh, regulators will decide on reviewing um, the legislation to ensure it's really, you know, fostering responsible innovation. Um, I would say this is is a real exciting legal framework, um, which will finally allow for a new uh, real world use case of uh, blockchain and DLT. Um, Because really, if we take, you know, payments aside and uh, not counting DeFi, uh, where there's a ton of Borrowing, lending, uh, issuance of derivatives—blockchain um, has not really had that many uh, real-world applications uh, outside of maybe also um, supply chain management. Uh, so this this will certainly be uh, um, uh, exciting uh, to see. And but uh, you know, it, of course, it yeah, it, it remains to be seen how exactly uh, all this will pan out and what the
0: the um, final proposals will look like. Okay, so, um, but we have to say that at the moment, big institutional investors are still hesitant when it comes to crypto. What are the biggest obstacles, in your opinion, when it comes to investing in digital assets outside of high volatility crypto? Would you agree that this is changing as we speak? Are you at Bitstamp seeing that big institutional investors are kind of warming up, Nate?
1: um yeah of course i mean so uh, i would say just for starters that the institutions definitely are warming up to the idea of crypto so it's not something that they are you know looking looking at from a, from a safe distance but they are actively um exploring the space and, and and trying to figure out the right way for them to um to engage in this space um and of course um you know other obstacles as they enter this space of course they first Sort of examine it for what it is, so it's a it's a highly volatile market, uh, and if they, they first need to wrap their heads around you know how, how do i how do I operate in this space that can you know suddenly I can lose fifteen percent of my portfolio value you know in a, in a matter of minutes, you maybe in a matter of hours. Uh, so that's that's the first thing. and of course, it's a different risk profile uh, because digital asset digital assets are, are sort of a separate asset class, and they are they're not really that correlated to other parts of, of, of traditional finance. So it's a, sort of something they need to solve, off, solve out first as they enter this market. And then it's, of course, the sort of the 24 seven nature of the crypto market, which is you, you develop certain systems, certain structures, um, but then it doesn't end on Friday. It goes, it goes on o- over the weekend. So you need to adjust your operating model as a company um, to, to take into account that uh, these markets never, never sleep. sleep. Yep, of course. So this is, this is, these are somewhat general, um, obstacles that everyone faces as they enter this market. But then of course you have different flavors of institutions and they each face their own challenges when it comes to, um, sort of trying to approximate their, um, uh, their business model, um, m- with a sort of, rather traditional background to something that is more crypto. So you know, how do we solve for um, connectivity? Um, h- how do the APIs work uh, for a crypto exchange? How do we store funds? How does custody work compared to traditional finance, uh, compared to securities? What's up with the regulation, which we just discussed, it's scattered, it's fragmented. You know, Where, where do my funds sit and how are they regulated? Mm-hmm. Um, then it, how do I found my account? In traditional finance, you'll see Players being very accustomed to the fact that they, there is zero pre-funding, so you don't need to put funds up front. Rather, you trade and then you settle after the trade. This is this is not. I would say this is this is currently. Um, it's more an ex- exception in crypto, so it's not a rule. So these structures are are just are being developed, but are not sort of a general market standard yet. Um, and of course, there are funding. Uh, so sorry, there are also uh, questions of how do we execute. How do we manage risks? How do we report to the regulator, to the auditor, and and sort of other, you know, other bodies? Um, So many challenges to solve. Uh, We usually, we want to approach them sort of one by one, uh, but we've seen it all at, at Bitstamp.
0: Okay, so um, on one side we have investors, companies and other institutional players flirting with the idea of including digital assets in their portfolio. And on the other side, we have cryptocurrency exchanges contemplating how best to accommodate the needs of those players once they enter the market, right? But there seems to be a lack of dialogue. Niels Franker, maybe, maybe you can answer. Do you think law firms could mediate between the two worlds? I mean, from a legal standpoint?
2: Well, certainly. You know, um, you know that saying that, uh, or I'm not sure it might actually be a joke, uh, that everyone needs a doctor, a lawyer, and a priest. Uh, now, uh, corporations uh, don't have much use for a doctor or a priest, uh, but they most certainly need lawyers, um, who usually, in a sense, uh, act as the whole trifecta um, so so i could definitely see a world um where the management of corporations uh turns to their trusted legal advisors um who as a prerequisite uh, must also be uh, very knowledgeable of the industry right um to help them then to uh, dive into the crypto world or well dip their toast uh, toast at first right uh so it's been for decades that uh corporations have uh, entrusted lawyers uh with due diligence in new high risk engagements and i can definitely see that this going forward
0: okay nates the other nates any mm-hmm. thoughts about that
2: <laughs> oh i
1: i i share um i share the opinion of the colleague here <laughs> um so role of law firms is absolutely fundamental in, 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 in this market as in in any other market. Uh, but I would say that this is even more pronounced in, in the crypto market uh, due to the general lack of certainty um, in this space. Um, so lack of lack of regulation uh, means it, it takes a good legal practitioner uh, that understands crypto for what it is, it's a place of innovation, um, and then be able to uh, apply the existing rules to something that might not fit perfectly uh, at a first glance, uh, but it needs to be sort of explored and, and well understood and sort of applied in a, sometimes even in a in a creative way, um, while still, of course, operating within the boundaries of the law. Um, so law, fir- law firms are, are very important in this space. Um, and they are also important just to um you know facilitate and, and translate um the language of the market participants and um uh, explain it to the to the regulators so they serve at this as sort of at, at the crossroads um of this market um and of course they are also important just to build the awareness of, you know, what, what, what is crypto, you know, what does it mean? How do I translate it? If I'm a comp- corporation, how, how do I translate, um, you know, um, crypto into my environment? Uh, so, yes, definitely uh, law firms are super important.
0: We said already. You mentioned already that Bitstamp is the largest Europe-based crypto exchange. Uh, do you think that it's an advantage when it comes to Bitstamp's reputation as one of the most reliable and secure crypto exchanges? For sure, it is, right?
1: Oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, we've been around for for ten years now, um, and I like to call crypto years "dog years." So, in the traditional <laughs> years, that would be that would be seventy years in the industry, which is a long. A long period of time for 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 any industry, I would say. Uh, but jokes aside, um, um, we 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 do take sort of our you know reputation very seriously, and it starts with deregulation. So we are a licensed uh, licensed institution. We hold licenses in Luxembourg, um, and so a payment a payment institution license in Luxembourg. We obtained that back in two thousand and fifteen, and we are also a regulated financial institution. With the New York Department of Financial Services, which is one of the most stringent regulators um, out there, believe me. Um, (laughs) uh, So uh, we, uh, our custody is um, with uh, with a uh, licensed custodian, uh, a licensed trust company, uh, BitGo. And aside from the regulation, we've invested heavily in, um, you know, to have sort of that state-of-the-art exchange infrastructure. Uh, we work with, uh, we use Nasdaq technology. Uh, we have a Nasdaq matching engine, which enables us to 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 be um, to maintain uh, nearly 100% uptime, even in the times of high volatility. So um, I believe we do have uh, leading exchange um, um, uptime compared to the sort of peer uh, peer exchanges. Um, and of course, we want to remain a um, reliable counterparty. To all our customers, um, we pride ourselves with the, I would say, leading customer support once again uh, within this industry. I have this interesting data point that it it um, it only takes 22 seconds to get someone on the phone at, at Bitstamp Bitstamp uh, customer support. So we do do, do take our, our our sort of that personal approach uh, very seriously, and I think that that has enabled us to be successful in this market for so long.
0: Great. Guys, obviously, I also have to mention this here. What about the theft prevention or protection? For a long time, it was believed to be practically impossible to steal crypto. Unfortunately, we have seen quite a few attacks on crypto exchanges in the past few years. And the amount stolen, I don't know if I have correct numbers, but in the past seven years was 12 billion US dollars. That's not a joke. How does Bitstamp tackle this, Nates?
1: I think you're right, Sasha. It's definitely high. It's it's too high. Uh, but I think I've mentioned the, you know, run fast, break things um, approach to the industry. Um, so sometimes market participants in that sort of urge to deploy the next, uh, you know, hottest, best product or service. Um, they, they tend to leave some. They might leave some some debt behind. You know, it might be you know a security issue. It might be just a, a smart contract flaw if we are talking about DeFi, and that might might later uh, materialize in in the in, in funds being stolen. Um, but that being said, um, there are now I think very high security standards uh, in place um, in the market. Uh, so, for example, Bitstamp um, implements sort of that um, triple wallet, multi-signature approach to custody, meaning that we we do have uh, th- the better part of 95% of our assets sit offline in cold custody, um, whilst only 5% um, of of funds are online, so to speak. Um, and of course, both wallets um, are insured. So funds in, in cold custody are insured as well as the funding hot funds in hot wallet custody um, have insurance coverage. So God forbid there was a hack. Um, customer funds would would always be uh, secure. And we do, aside from you know insurance, we do adhere to the highest standards of of, of security um, from sort of um, strict uh, strict uh, role- based access management and so on. Uh, so I would say that despite the number you know, seemingly being high, I would not say uh, that is a serious problem for serious market participants um, anymore. Uh, but of course, it's very important that as corporates or individuals enter this space, that they do their research. So who am I, uh, who am I doing business with? And who is that counterparty? What are the measures that they have put in place to prevent uh, funds being stolen, uh.
0: Okay, uh, encouraging <laughs> Nate Franker, uh, any thoughts on this?
2: Yeah, I would, I would have to agree, of course, with my colleague here. Uh, I would say the general risk, um, especially when it comes to centralized exchanges, uh, is much, much lesser than what the general public perceives, um, uh, I would say in the recent years there's there's really been very few and as Nate mentioned, you know, the, the exposure um, that's really available if someone would actually uh, be able to hack into exchanges really, really uh, small in addition to being uh, insured and so on. So the, the biggest, I mean, the biggest exploits that the general public might have seen in recent recent headlines uh, has always been with regards to DeFi mostly and sure. um, that's a I would say a sector, of course, that uh, is not so close yet to the to the companies, to the, you know, the corporate uh, uh, investors. Um, so it's it's really a risk that's not uh, not really closely linked to them. Still, you know, the yeah, the the risks are existent and there's this this um, phenomena right uh, in the DeFi world. If I may just go a bit this way, since uh, Nate's already mentioned everything about the centralized exchanges. Uh, you know, there's this uh, notion of code being law, right? Um, it goes way back uh, to 2016 when, when there was uh, the first, and uh, I don't know, probably by today's prices, it's still the biggest, though there's been uh, one uh, just recently in August, right? The the seven 600-something uh, million exploits of uh, uh, Polygon network. Um, um, well, what I'm trying to say, is, sorry for, uh, I digress here, the the notion of code is law uh, is widespread among uh, DeFi enthusiasts, and it's always been um, this um, two camps, right? Uh, there's people who would say wh- if there was a if there was a flaw in the contract, in a smart contract that allows for someone to um, funnel funds out of it or um, um, some other way exploit the the, the protocol. Uh, that, that should be allowed, right? That's what the self-governing, decentralized, right, uh, peer-to-peer network allowed for, and uh, it's it should not be considered as theft. Uh, uh, but again, uh, right on the other side, and I would, of course, uh, have to agree with this, and I, I'm sure the majority agrees. Um, that uh, we cannot see that way, of course. Uh, even though, if there is no specific regulation with regards to DeFi yet, uh, someone, you know, taking advantage of some uh, going against the the nature of the the protocol to to uh, uh, basically, you know, misappropriate funds uh, should not be allowed, and it isn't. You know, basically, it's it's uh, the story that uh, leads, of course, to uh, the second biggest asset, uh, crypto asset. Uh, uh, as its um, birth as well, the two camps resulted in forking, uh, and we now have Ethereum and Ethereum Classic. Uh, so yeah, this is an age-old tale, but I think it's uh, it's mostly um, the majority view is now that of course uh, the code cannot be law. Law is law, uh, but we 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 will certainly have to uh, uh, wait a bit longer for proper regulation to take place.
0: Great. The whole debate was business oriented so far, but to finish on a bit of a lighter note, Nates Vrankar has prepared a quick fire question round for you Nates. I don't know if you, you didn't know about this. So let me let me put out the rules, short questions, and you know, you will have to answer yes or no. Okay, once you are allowed to use no comment, to make it up uh, to all of you who participate in the crypto market out of personal interest. So, uh, Nate Zvankar, shoot off. Only yes. once? Uh, only once you can say uh, no comment. <laughs> yeah, just,
2: just a heads up, uh, there's uh, some are actually uh, choice questions as well. But yeah, nothing. Um,
0: so. Okay, that should be interesting. Let's go.
2: Okay, so, Nate's um, super cycle, yes or no? Yes. Uh, Doge or Shiba?
1: <laughs> no, of course.
2: <laughs> 100K by end of year? No. Uh, flippening within the next 12 months? No. Trading, trading or hodling? Hodling. But, uh, last but lo- n- not least, and uh, now I don't want to get Michael Saylor angry if he's listening in on us, but uh, is there a second best?
0: <laughs> no comment. <laughs> <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> Nates and Nates, yeah. <laughs> Big thanks uh, to both of you. That was uh, super great and, and uh, also funny, which I didn't expect, really. But uh, yeah, um, thanks to all of you listening to this episode at uh, Center Stage. I'm sure you enjoyed it, and don't forget, you can always find episodes also on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcast apps to listen to our debates on the go, just only also in audio format. Until next time, stay safe and enjoy life. Thank you, guys.